We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com. This is the Lakers Nation podcast. We've got a game tonight. That's right. It is game day. Lakers versus Jazz. Can the Lakers make it three in a row after that big, exciting win over the New Orleans Pelicans? We're going to talk a little bit about the Lakers' identity, which I think is starting to come into focus. We're starting to get a sense of exactly who this team is and what they're supposed to be, what Darvin Ham's goals are for this team. All of that is starting to be a little bit clearer now that here we are seven games into the season. Of course, the Lakers just two and five. That's their record right now. But still, Lakers fans in general feel a little bit more optimistic now that they've won the last two. Once again, I feel like this team is starting to click, starting to come together in a lot of ways. I do have some fan questions and comments that we've got left over from our last live postgame show from the Pelicans game that we're going to get into. So we'll talk about that as well. As always, those questions can spring more us into a lot of different topics around the Los Angeles Lakers. Before we get into everything, quick reminder, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us that five-star rating and review. And of course, on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, if you're not doing so already, hit that subscribe button and then turn on notifications as well so you stay up to date on everything going on in the world of the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, we'll be right here bringing you everything you need about the purple and gold. All right, so let's get into, first I need to talk a little bit about this. Uh, what the Lakers are supposed to be. What is this team? What's the ideal setup for this team right now? Because we said going into the season a number of times that this Lakers team, it's hard to figure out what their identity is, right? You think back to the championship team and their identity can, became clear so early on in the season. This was a team, think about Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and, and Anthony Davis and LeBron and Danny Green. And, and they had uh, Avery Bradley in the, the guard position at one point. Uh, and then that wasn't the case in the bubble. You had all those players, Alex Caruso, KCP, gosh, the good old days that I'm talking about here. That team, very early on, we knew, okay, the plan is this team is going to be bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. They're going to be really good defensively, and they're going to have at least a few guys that can space the floor just enough. They're not going to be a great three-point shooting team, but they're going to be good enough to where they can get by just being a really good defense, and they're going to be bigger, faster, stronger, so they're going to create a lot of mismatches that way, and that's what this team's going to be. Um, I felt like last year's team never really figured out what their identity was, and part of that might be injury. Part of that might be just they, they weren't very good. Part of that is just the age of the players. Uh, it's hard to come to an identity when you've got 41 different starting lineups in 82 games, which I've said before, it's absurd, but 
that was the reality last season. That team never really found an identity aside from just bad at basketball. That was essentially the identity of the team last year. Uh, we could talk about the fake comebacks. Maybe that was part of their identity. But this year's team is starting to show exactly who they are. And I think there are some very key principles that we're seeing at, at play here in terms of what this team is. And I think they, they all relate to what they are not, really, more than anything else. So what this team is not, this team is not going to be a good half-court shooting team, and the, and the reason for that, or a good half-court offensive team, and the reason for that is because of their shooting. We knew going into the season this would not be a good three-point shooting team. I talked about this a lot uh, in the first few games, that essentially the Lakers shot so poorly from three, so unsustainably poorly from three in the first few games of the season, that it was preventing them from winning games. It was preventing us from really seeing who they were as a ball club because the three-point shooting was so bad. They couldn't hit any open shots. And so that was preventing any of the positives that we were seeing from other places on the floor from mattering. That three-point shooting was just weighing them down so much. So I think there is an understanding, though, with this Lakers team that, hey, even though we expect the three-point percentage to continue to improve, and it is ticking up a little bit now, they're about 26 27% as of this point, which is still absolutely terrible. Again, the worst in the NBA last year was 32% and change. So the Lakers are still shooting extremely poorly. They are dead last in the NBA from three, but it is coming up. Remember, at one point, they were 21% from three. So that percentage is coming up, as you would expect. But knowing that they're going to be a bad three-point shooting team, the hope is that they can just be just be above 30%. If they're above 30%, it's a, look, it's not ideal. It's not good. But maybe it's tolerable. Maybe you can get by if you're really good in a lot of other areas and you do something very specific on the offensive end, and that's get out and run. And that's what this team has developed as an identity. You can see where Darvin Ham has approached this problem of we don't have very many shooters, and he's hit all the boxes you would need to check in order to mitigate that problem in terms of, well, you got to fast break a lot then. Because if you're not going to be scoring very well in the half court, then you need to make sure that you're not playing half-court basketball that much. You need to get out and run, and you need to create transition scoring opportunities. And that's something we've seen this team do. They are playing at the fastest pace in the NBA right now by a decent margin. These guys are just flying. We saw numerous times against the Pelicans where the Pels would actually score, and the Lakers, taking the ball out of their own basket, were beating the Pelicans down the floor and scoring on the other end. Like immediately, are we talking two, three seconds go by and the Lakers are already putting the ball in the basket against the Pelicans. So this team is flying. By the way, pace around the NBA is up. The Wolves pace last season, which was number one in the NBA, fastest pace team in the league last season, would rank ninth right now. And I think you give a lot of credit to the rule change to get rid of take fouls. That was slowing down the game. You're seeing scoring is up around the NBA because possessions are up around the league. And teams are just playing faster. Again, the fastest pace in the NBA from last season would be ninth in the NBA this season. And the Lakers are playing at a faster pace right now than anyone else. And again, it makes sense. And transition basketball is more valuable historically than any other kind of basketball. It's certainly more valuable than half-court basketball because teams tend to score more in, on a points-per-possession basis in transition on a fast break than they ever will in the half-court against a set defense, which makes sense. But so for the Lakers, if you're going to figure out a way around not being a good three-point shooting team in the modern NBA, you have to be able to capitalize on fast break scoring. And that 
is what they have done. I talked about this a little bit over on my Substack, which you can find trevorlane.substack.com. I also wrote about Matt, uh, Matt Ryan's big three and kind of what that meant for him, as well as broke down where the Lakers are kind of at right now in terms of the, the stats and their standings and, and all of that sort of stuff. So go check it out again, trevorlane.substack.com. But the Lakers, as a fast break team, that's easy to just focus on the offense. And I think this is what's been really important about what Darvin Ham has done here with this team is so many teams, when they are fast break teams, when they know we don't want to play half-court basketball, by the way, come playoff time, that tends to not bode well because playoff basketball does slow down and there are more fast break or there are more half-court sets that you're going to have to run through. So I'm not saying this is sustainable long-term to just always be a breakneck speed team, but for the moment, this is what they need. Um, but what's often forgotten about being a running team is that you got to play defense because the best opportunities to run, and again, I said the Lakers have already ran a few times taking the ball out of the basket, but it's way easier to run when you are rebounding a missed shot or even better when there is a live ball turnover. And the Lakers have been really good in both of those areas. In fact, they've been one of the best teams in the NBA in steals, been getting a lot of steals. Anthony Davis has been huge getting into passing lanes, blocking shots, doing that sort of stuff. So the live ball turnovers have been pretty good for this Lakers team. They've been good at, at forcing those. And then just defensively overall, they are the number two rated team in defensive rating right now in the NBA. So what that is doing is that's actually fueling their fast break because opponents are not shooting well against the Lakers because their defense is so good and that's allowing them to get out and run. It's also part of why if we look back on that game against the Pelicans, at the end of the third, we saw everything fall apart. Why? Because the Pelicans were scoring. The Lakers, therefore, were not able to get their offense off and running in a fast break situation. They were then uh, missing shots at the rim. They were also missing uh, jumpers. We saw LeBron take some jumpers as well, and that got the Pelicans into transition going the other way. They were getting an easy bucket. It snowballs quickly. So for the Lakers, the key is making sure things are going your direction, which means they've got to be the team getting stops. They've got to be the team getting out and running. What happened was the Pelicans forced them multiple possessions to play half-court offense. Didn't go well, and that fueled the Pelicans' offense going the other direction with uh, Jose Alvarado being a major pest for the Lakers on that end. So we saw where the shortcoming of this team is if you force them to play half-court offense, yeah, you're probably going to win that game against the Lakers. Their half-court offense is just not good enough because they don't have enough spacing. They don't have enough shooters to really make teams pay for paying too much attention to LeBron, to Anthony Davis, to Russell Westbrook when he was attacking. Again, they're getting better there. Lonnie Walker's been providing scoring punch. That was fantastic. 28 points from him. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. has been very good for the Lakers as well. But the bottom line is this Lakers team is checking a few boxes in terms of mitigating that three-point shooting problem, and that is running the fast break on the offense and being just an absolute terror flying up and down the court. They actually can get more efficient in their fast break offense, and they're being so stingy defensively that is just compounding the effect and the opportunities that they get to actually run on the offensive end. So if you're going to be optimistic about this Lakers team for anything, it's that you've got those two ingredients. If you're a team that wants to play fast and you can't defend, you're not going to be able to play as fast as you want. If you're a team that can defend, but you're not great running the fast break, you don't have the athletes on, on your team to really do that, you're not going to be able to capitalize on those stops the way you want to. The Lakers have both. They've got the defense and they've got the ability to get out and really run 
and push the pace. So that bodes very well for the Lakers. Ultimately, if they want to hit another level, though, they're still going to need to find shooting, and that may have to come via trade. And we'll talk more about that once we get into the fan questions and comments here, which, you know what, let's go ahead and do that right now. So Super Dope Hip Hop said, Beverly over Troy Brown Jr., late in the fourth and overtime made zero sense. You know, there were a lot of people, myself included, who were confused why Patrick Beverly was getting the minutes late in the fourth quarter. We were hoping that he wouldn't because he hadn't been that productive. I mean, finished the game with zero points. We've seen some shaky times for Patrick Beverly, but uh, from what we heard in the postgame, essentially Patrick Beverly went to Darvin Ham and was kind of bugging him saying, let me take McCollum, let me take McCollum. Uh, C.J. McCollum was tearing the Lakers up. Everybody who was guarding him was struggling with him. The, the Pelicans were using him to play off of Zion Williamson. They were doing a lot of dribble handoff stuff and either getting Zion with a head of steam going to the basket or getting little mid-range shots for C.J. And nobody was was handling it properly. And Patrick Beverly said, I can I can fix this. So Darvin Ham, I, personally, I probably, if it was me, I would have gone back to Russell Westbrook, uh, who I thought had a really good game and then didn't get to play down the stretch. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Uh, you can also argue Troy Brown Jr. maybe should have been in the game. But Darvin Ham decided, I need to deal with this C.J. McCollum problem. More than focus on, I'm going to put in Russ because he's going to get to the basket, or I'm going to put in Troy Brown Jr. because he's going to help me on the glass. He said, I'm going to go to Patrick Beverly, a veteran. I'm going to try to slow down C.J. McCollum. Again, I would not have made that decision. But credit to Darvin Ham, he made the right call. It worked. It worked. Patrick Beverly made some nice defensive plays down the stretch. He came up with some big uh, loose ball possessions where he was able to grab a rebound or a ball's bouncing around, steal the ball off of a Pelicans player. He made big plays down the stretch. So, look, process-wise, I agree. I would have gone with somebody else. But I can't argue with the results because Patrick Beverly made big plays and it worked. The Lakers won the game. They slowed down C.J. McCollum. Patrick Beverly was instrumental in that. I'm not going to fault Darvin Ham for that when it just worked, even if it's not what I would have done. But you know what? Maybe, I mean, that's just why Darvin Ham is a head coach in the NBA right now. He made the correct choice there for sure. All right. Uh, Austin Reeves was the MVP tonight. Uh, I wouldn't say that. He threw a fantastic pass, though. That inbound pass to Matt Ryan that was on the money. That was a touchdown. It was a Patrick Mahomes dime. Uh, I wish I could still say Matthew Matthew Stafford, but the Rams have not been that good this season. But uh, it was a fantastic pass. That was a great pass by Reeves to Matt Ryan. He also made some other big plays, just like I talked about. Patrick Beverly made some intangible type plays out there. Austin Reeves did as well. Frank said, hey, Trevor, not a big Westbrook fan, but I like him off the bench. Who else would you trade? Any trade uh, for helping this team? So I mentioned just a few minutes ago that the Lakers, in order to hit that next level, we've already kind of seen moments where Russ pushes in transition and he kicks out to a shooter and that shooter is Patrick Beverly or that shooter is Wenyan Gabriel or someone like that, and they're missing the three-point look. So the fast break, uh, Darvin Ham's fast break, calls for, um, for the wings to fill and go to the corner three. That's what he wants. He wants guys to run to the corners, while your ball handler pushes the ball at the middle. So let's say it's Russ pushing up the middle, and then it's, you know, Wenyon in, in, in one play, ran to the corner three, and maybe it's, uh, you know, I don't know, Patrick Beverly runs to the other one. The problem the Lakers have had is they do that, they collapse the defense, they kick it out, they miss the three. 
and they're getting better at it, but their ceiling raises if that person you're kicking it out to becomes Doug McDermott, if it becomes Josh Richardson, if it becomes Buddy Heald, if it becomes, heck, maybe Miles Turner, if it becomes Gordon Hayward or, you know, Terry Rozier. There's lots of different names that have been out there on the trade market. If it becomes a guy that's shooting 38, 39, 40%, maybe up, right? Wishful thinking, maybe. But if it becomes a knockdown three-point shooter that you're kicking the ball out to, well, that just makes you that much more effective, particularly if you can do that without losing a lot on the defensive end. The problem, though, and I'm getting this question from a lot of Lakers fans saying, okay, Russ off the bench, this works. This is three games in a row now that he's been good off the bench. Can we just keep Russ? Can we still go get Miles Turner? Can we still get Buddy Heald? Can we still get other guys without giving up Russ? And the answer is yes. You can stack up Patrick Beverly's contract and Kendrick Nunn's contract, and you could go try to trade for Miles Turner. You could go try to trade for Buddy Heald. You could try to trade for Josh Richardson. I don't know if you want to pull Patrick Beverly out of the locker room. I think he's been a key factor there. I also think, again, he just made some big plays down the stretch of this game. So I don't think the Lakers are rushing to go make a trade right now, but they're going to have to make a decision. If there's opportunities to land three-point shooting, they're going to have to give up something. If Russ is suddenly good off the bench, that might still be the piece that you have to trade. And then you lose some of that punch coming off the bench. You lose some of the pace that's coming off the bench because Russ comes in and, the, I mean, the game just instantly speeds up because Russ plays like he's being shot out of a cannon. It's fantastic. It's been fun to watch, honestly, last few games. But you're going to have to give up something. Maybe it's Russ. Maybe it's Patrick Beverly. Maybe you're putting in Kendrick Nunn, who didn't play at all this past game. You're going to have to give up some of those pieces. And then if it's not Russell Westbrook, if it is Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn, you can get Buddy Heal, or you can get Miles Turner. Can't get both. So what do you need more? Do you need another big? Because looking at the situation, I'm not super comfortable with Anthony Davis being the lone center, essentially, on this roster. Damian Jones got no minutes. Heck, Wenyan Gabriel has clearly beat out Damian Jones for minutes. And maybe I shouldn't be omitting Wenyan Gabriel when I think of centers on this roster because that's how he's being used. I just don't know if I want to count on him either. Like if, if Anthony Davis goes out, do I want to believe the Lakers are just fine with, okay, you can plug in Wendy and Gabriel and you're good. Nobody's filling Anthony Davis's shoes, but you need a solid big that you can put in there. Damian Jones has not done that so far. Thomas Bryant has been hurt. Maybe he solves the problem. Maybe he comes back in a week or however long and he figures it out and everything's going well. Maybe he's fully hundred percent. He's hitting threes. He's doing stuff at the rim and then you're good. Right. And, and you're feeling okay. But I didn't see a lot in preseason that suggested that's what's going to happen. So I think if anything, what we've seen so far this season is that the Lakers might need another center. And if that is indeed the case, and you don't want to move Russell Westbrook, you may be forced to choose between do we want a center or do we want a shooter? And that might be the case in a Spurs deal if we're talking Yaka Pertl or Josh Richardson or Doug McDermott. That might be the case in a lot of deals that we're looking at. If you're not trading Russell Westbrook, it, be, it becomes more difficult to fill multiple roles to get back multiple players that become part of your rotation because Russ's contract is so big. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Relative to production, but... $47 million, you have to stack up a lot of salaries coming back in a deal. And so that can bring back more pieces for the Lakers. If it's Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn, you're talking about 18 million and change. Well, most of the guys that you would want are going to make enough to where you're really talking about getting one player back for those two. So that's a challenge there. All right. Uh, Eastside said, fans clowning LeBron after playing sick. Uh, for their team is nasty. Hey, I'm not going to disagree. I think a lot of people weren't aware of how ill LeBron actually was. He talked about it after the game, uh, how sick he was that he was in bed. Uh, He said he didn't even get to go to the team's Halloween party. He was essentially in bed after the Nuggets game for the next two days, all the way until the game against the Pelicans. And that was why he looked so lethargic because he's sick. Um, Look, I I really think that that wasn't really out there that much. So people didn't understand how sick LeBron was. I was asking the same thing. What's what's up with LeBron? Is this a foot issue or what? Um, I, I think he's just sick. So I don't think that people were, people who were clowning on LeBron saying he's washed and all that kind of stuff. I don't think there was an understanding for until after the game that he's like, he was really sick. Uh, KM, first time we saw LeBron and Zion bang in the post. Well, we saw it before. We've seen it in previous seasons, uh, two seasons ago, I believe. And Westbrook should try to adjust his playing style to Magic Johnson. Saw flashes of it tonight. So instead of finishing at the rim, trying to pass more, being a passer on the fast break, I think he can incorporate elements of that. But part of what opens up the pass for Russell Westbrook is the finishing at the rim and the threat that he's going to do that. Because what happens is Russ comes flying down the court and opposing defenses see that and they go, oh my gosh. And they all pack the paint, right? Because they don't want to just give him a layup. And that creates passing opportunities for him or vice versa. If they feel like he's going to pass, that creates driving lanes for him. So I wouldn't want him to overly commit to one thing or the other. I think part of what can make him effective is having that versatility of being able to pass or finish at the rim. Not to say Magic couldn't finish at the rim, but I think that's it's the passing most people think of when we picture Magic Johnson on the fast break. So I'm assuming that's the reference there. (laughs) Ronnie. Matt Ryan's Mamba face, LOL. That was a fantastic Mamba face. If you haven't seen the pictures of it, you need to go check it out. Matt Ryan, after hitting that three, had the best mean mug ever. I, people were calling him Dash Mamba, man, because of the, his uh, history with DoorDash and, and working for them. But it looked, that was just a great moment. Great moment for uh, for a guy, for somebody that, I mean, he's battled to get to where he's at in this league and uh, and just very cool to see that happen for him. Uh, G Dematic said Lakers ordered a three from DoorDash tonight. Matt Ryan delivered. Yes, he did indeed. What a shot. He called it the biggest shot of his career so far. He is not wrong. That was a huge moment for a guy on a non-guaranteed deal. That's so big. 
so huge for him to, to cement his spot on this team and continue to get minutes. Clearly, he's got Darvin Ham's trust. You know, I love this quote from Darvin Ham after the game where he said at halftime, Matt Ryan actually went to him and said, uh, Matt Ryan was upset about being one for six shooting. And Matt Ryan said, but give me those six looks again and I'm burying them. Right. So he has that confidence like, hey, I know I missed those six shots in this game. And look, Darvin Ham was scheming a lot of things, uh, sideline out of bounds plays to get Matt Ryan looks. And so Matt Ryan goes to him and says, hey, look, get me those looks again. I will knock them down. And Darvin says, well, I'm glad you've got that attitude. And by the way, if I put you in and you're not shooting, I'm pulling you out. I'm sitting you down. Darvin Ham believes in Matt Ryan and believes in his ability to shoot enough to where he's telling him, yeah, if you are not shooting the ball, you're sitting. You'd better shoot when you're in there. Jason, can Russ win sixth man of the year? I think so. You know, Coach Ham talked about this after the game, said he wants to be, he wants that to be a thing. He thinks Russell Westbrook can be the sixth man. And if look, if Russ keeps producing like this, like we've seen over the last three games, there's no reason why he shouldn't be the favorite to win it. What other sixth man is going to produce the way Russell Westbrook is right now? Not many. He absolutely could win that award uh, if he continues in this role. The Lakers don't trade him or anything. If this is his role moving forward, 100% Russell Westbrook could win sixth man. Brian Rawls, do the Lakers get this win if Zion didn't have five fouls? It's hard to say what exactly that looks like. You know, there have been a lot of people uh, on the Pelican side of things primarily who've said, well, you know, the Lakers, they only got this win because Brandon Ingram and Herb Jones didn't play. And really, this just so, shows how bad the Lakers are. They could barely beat a Pelicans team that didn't have those guys. And it took a miracle shot in order to get to overtime against them. Look, on and on. The counterpoint to that, of course, is Anthony Davis was questionable going into the game. He's playing on a bad back. Um, it played fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like he just couldn't do anything out there. He was great. But you know he's playing her. LeBron's playing sick. This is a new team trying to come together. I'm not going to fault the Lakers in this one. They got the win. Um, I don't know. Do they get the win if Zion didn't have five fouls? It depends. It depends on what strategies they would have deployed. Who knows? Maybe Zion would have missed a bunch of shots at the rim. Um, we don't know exactly what that would have looked like. I'd imagine their chance, chances of, win, of winning would go down if Zion played more. But it's hard to say. Uh, Louis said, Beverly, none, and a first for Buddy Heald. Playoff team, for sure. I don't even know if it's just Buddy Heald. Do you have to give up a first? I mean, I know the Pacers would want a first, but part of like, when we were talking Russell Westbrook trades, part of that was just this, I mean, written in stone demand from every other team around the NBA that no, if you trade Russell Westbrook, if Russell Westbrook is leaving your roster, you must surrender both first round picks unprotected. That's it. That, that, is, that is foregone conclusion. You must give us both first-round picks unprotected if Russell Westbrook is leaving your roster. Now, Russ is a $47 million contract. Part of that is you'd be asking another owner to pay Russell Westbrook to buy him out, essentially, to go play basketball for somebody else. Because everything we heard was that nobody was going to trade for Russell Westbrook. The Spurs, the Pacers, the Jazz, nobody's trading for Russell Westbrook to actually play Russell Westbrook. Um, they'd just be trading for his expiring contract. And so there was something to that too, where, okay, you're going to have to give us a pick just for taking on Russ, and you're going to need to give us another pick if we're going to send back players that have value. That was the, that's the thought process from opposing teams. Buddy Heald has another year on his deal. Now, you can argue Buddy is neutral value. Some people have argued he's negative value. He's played fairly well this year. 
I, I would say he's maybe neutral to a slight positive value, but he has another year on his deal. So if you're the Lakers and you're sending Kendrick Nunn, you're sending Patrick Beverly, and you're just getting Buddy Heald, you're not getting Miles Turner, who is a more valuable player than Buddy Heald is and doesn't have another year on his deal right now. He's an expiring contract. So if you're the Lakers, you're absorbing a lot of salary there. You're absorbing, I don't know, $22, $23 million in salary between Buddy Heald being a little bit more expensive than those two this season plus the contract for next year. So that's a lot of money. So do you have to give up a first in that? I mean, I'm sure the Pacers will ask for it, but could you get away with seconds? Maybe not because it's the Pacers and they're not going to do a deal with the Lakers unless they're clearly winning the trade. I, I think that's probably a factor there, but something to consider. For the Lakers side, they would actually be saving the Pacers some money, and I don't know if Buddy Heald has enough positive value to demand a first in that trade. Larry Brown, I know people want to trade Pat but I love what he brings to the team chemistry. Like Pat calming down Matt after his buzzer beater to avoid a tech. That's a great point. You know what? And sometimes we, because we're so focused on just what a guy does on the floor, and that's because that's what we see, right? We don't see what these guys are doing off the court. We don't see the impact these guys have in the locker room. We don't see the impact these guys have in film sessions. We're not privy to that. And that's where guys like Patrick Beverly, guys like Rajon Rondo, guys like Jared Dudley, that's where they provide value. It's unseen value, but the teams know. The team knows what that value is. And there's something to that. And so I think it's important where when we look at Patrick Beverly and we say zero points, up, trade him, use his contract in a deal, get him out. I'm not saying they don't trade him, but Patrick Beverly is a guy where the stat sheet and what he does on the floor doesn't accurately reflect his value to the team as a whole. And it's something we have to keep in mind when we're looking at him. Maza Zimmerman said, all the iso ball late in the game was annoying. Why do teams go away from their offense late in games? I think they're concerned about their star player gives the ball up. Teams do everything they can to deny them. It's 24-second shot clock. It's hard to get the ball back to your star. And late in the games, you want your star player shooting the ball. That's, that's what you want. And so teams go iso. Um, they're trying to run the clock a little bit if they've got a lead. And so they're trying to run the clock down without risking the ball not making its way back to... LeBron in this case, or, you know, whoever it's going to be, Giannis or whoever you want to take in the last shot, Luca, right? And so teams go ISO, but I'm with you. I don't like it either. I feel like it takes you completely out of your offensive rhythm. You change your entire style of play against, in most cases, uh, away from what got you there. Now, maybe the Mavs are an exception because they run a lot of Luca ISO anyway, but in general, you're going against what got you to that point and usually what you wind up doing is settle for jumpers, for long jumpers that are contested shots because the clock's winding down and, and all of that. And if you miss that, you get your opponent in transition and give them easy scoring opportunities. And again, you get that snowball rolling. Your opponent scores on the other end. You're going up against their half-court set defense again. They force you into a long jumper. You miss. They're off and running. They score again. Next thing you know, the pressure starts ramping up. You start going, uh-oh, uh-oh, they're coming back. And we saw this dynamic play out against the Pelicans. Teams do this. It drives me crazy too. I'd rather just run your offense. And if that means that it's Lonnie Walker taking the shot instead of LeBron, I'm going to live with that. And I'm going to trust my offense to get a better look. But that's me. Most NBA teams don't do that. Uh, this comment says, Bev played good defense on CJ down the stretch and doesn't make costly mistakes in crunch time. Uh, this is mostly true. Pat will make some mistakes as well. But I thought Pat 
really, really showed what he can do on the defensive end of the floor in this one and was instrumental in the Lakers getting getting this win down the stretch. I, again, he showed why Darvin Ham made that decision and proved him right. Think LA running ATOs for Ryan to prep for Buddy. I, I don't think that's necessarily the, the thought process. I don't think Darvin Ham is running these, these plays specifically for Matt and Ryan thinking, let's get these guys set so when it becomes Buddy healed, they can just, we just plug them in and off we go. No, I mean, this is pretty common stuff. Like you would see, you would see plays like this run for JJ Redick. Um, we've seen plays like this run um, for, for a number of players, just about any shooter, right? That you that you could talk about over the years have run plays kind of similar to this. You want to talk about Landry Shaman. You want to look at, I mean, Bryn Forbes even gets plays, plays like this run for him. Um, so I don't think it's anything necessarily like out of the ordinary. Buddy Heald will be used to this kind of stuff if the Lakers do trade for him to plays like this. I don't think it's specifically like, hey, let's get ready for Buddy Heald by run, by pretending Matt Ryan is Buddy Heald and we're going to run him through these sets. I think they, they legit want Matt Ryan shooting these shots. Travis, AD looks so slow. Any faith he'll be elite again? Well, if you see what he's doing on the defensive end of the floor, he's elite right now. The problem is we're so laser focused on elite equals scoring 35 points a game, right? That's what we see as elite or jaw dropping athleticism. The guy's jumping out of the gym and throwing down monstrous dunks. That is what elite looks like. We're just, we're conditioned to those things being what elite is. The guy I'm going to give the ball to, and he's going to go one on five and beat everybody and score every time because he's that good. That's what elite is. Well, Anthony Davis has been elite defensively, and that's really where he provides the most value. In fact, look, last season was not a great season for AD. It was an injury-plague season. But Anthony Davis gets a lot of his value from the defensive side of the ball. In fact, the Lakers last season were worse offensively with Anthony Davis on the floor. He was still a net positive for the team, though, because he was so much better than anybody else defensively. Now, the key for AD is, can you get solid contributions out of him on the offensive end. Can you get, we should say good contributions out of him on offense. He's not going to be the let's give the ball to AD clear out. He's going to go one-on-one. He's going to beat a double team and he's just going to dunk over everybody. You're not going to get that play out of him all that often. But what you are going to get is an absolute monstrous performance on the defensive end. 16 rebounds in that game against the Pelicans. He has been instrumental in the Lakers defense in getting stops in getting steals, uh, sitting in the passing lanes, doing everything he can there. AD has been playing very, very well. He's been at an elite level defensively. It's just easier to overlook that because defense doesn't always jump off the screen, even though AD does make some nice plays in terms of blocking shots and things. Mamba mentality. Lakers for the win. Every game is like a movie. Gotta love it. And anyone who says this team is the same as last year, it's not. Better defense, more cohesive unit, also, Rob, extend Lonnie and Troy Brown Jr. Let's go. Well, unfortunately, that's not in the cards. Lonnie and Troy Brown Jr., both on just one-year deals. This is, I was talking about in the offseason. I wish they had done multi-year deals with some of these guys. Uh, I know, look, Troy Brown Jr., you're not going to take a veteran minimum on a one-year deal. You're just not. And that's unfortunate because if the Lakers use their cap space, if they... Uh, make a trade that uses up their cap space. Say they go trade for Buddy Heald. You trade away. If it's Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn, if it's Russell Westbrook for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, that's e eats into your cap space for next year. 
And then you don't have a whole lot of money to spend to keep guys like Lonnie Walker, like Troy Brown Jr. on one-year deals. These guys are going to get big raises. And the Lakers, unfortunately, because they will not have bird rights on these players, we're going to be looking at a Malik Monk situation all over again, potentially. So that's the downside to this. You know, the Lakers, when they're turning over their roster every year, the problem is that you never acquire bird rights to somebody unless you're trading for something. Like they have bird rights for Patrick Beverly, but you're not acquiring bird rights for these players that you're signing to these one-year deals. And so while you're getting some bargains on them, what ends up happening is they just increase their value in the spotlight of LA and then they cash in the next year and they walk away. I think they've found something in Lonnie Walker and Troy Brown. I think they have helped to mitigate some of the concerns on the wing for the Lakers that we've had. These guys have been good. I don't think the problem is completely solved, but they've been good enough to where you look at these guys and you say, man, if this is what they do all season, we need to keep these guys. The Lakers may not be in a position to do so financially, unfortunately. And that's all, again, going back to those bird rights, which allow you to go over the cap. They're over the cap, and they don't have bird rights on these guys. The most they could do is offer their mid-level exception, which would be about $10 million. If both of those guys continue playing at this level, individually, they might get that offer. Keeping them both, probably not going to happen. Yeah, it's. I don't mean to bring everybody down, but... It's the unfortunate reality of the way the Lakers have built this roster around these one-year deals. The NBA rewards teams that stay together and the Lakers aren't able to take advantage of those rules because they haven't been staying together. Bruce Chang, with Schroeder almost coming back, I think trading Russ for Heald and Turner is still the right move. I think that's fair. You know, if you say Dennis Schroeder can be 75% of what Russell Westbrook is, and I'm, maybe that's being overly optimistic. I don't know. Russ has been good off the bench. But if you say Dennis Schroeder can give us a similar idea to what Russell Westbrook is providing, then maybe you do still it's still trade him. And maybe you take this opportunity because let's face it, the more good games we see out of Russell Westbrook, the more Rob Pelican can go into contract negotiations or trade negotiations, and he can say, I don't need to make a trade. So if you guys want both my first round picks unprotected, it's not going to happen. And if you tell me, well, too bad, you got to keep Russ. Hey, I'm good with that. Russ is, is killing it off the bench. I don't have to trade him anymore. We're not stuck. We're not desperate. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. That's part of why this is so important. Not only is it fun, not only is it a great redemption story for Russell Westbrook, not only is it helping the Lakers win basketball games, and all of those things, it is, 100%. I'm... I love what we're seeing out of Russell Westbrook right now, and I love being able to say positive things about him. This is absolutely fantastic. But 
The other piece to this is Rob Palenka, it buys him time. It allows him to be patient in trade negotiations. It allows him to not make a panic trade, to not make a desperate trade where you're having to give up a ton of value because clearly the Lakers have to trade Russ. If this is what you're getting out of Russ from here on out, it's only been three three games, so let's not count our chickens for they're hatched. But if this is what you're going to get out of Russ the rest of the way, you don't have to take a bad deal. You don't have to do anything. And that is really important for the Lakers. Jay Jackson, with all the drama going on in Brooklyn, what do you think about this? Lakers get Kyrie, Seth, Turner, Nets get healed, none, Patrick Beverly, and a second rounder. Pacers get Russ and two firsts. So are you combining Brooklyn and Indiana? I mean, as I'm recording this, Kyrie Irving has already made issued a full apology. He's also been suspended by the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Adam Silver was not thrilled that Kyrie's initial statement wasn't really an apology uh, for what was going on there. And I know there's people that have a lot of opinions on either side of that. If I'm the Lakers, if I'm any NBA team, I don't know if I want to get into the Kyrie Irving big business right now. And that's not, that's not to say that Kyrie's a bad player. He's certainly not. Uh, and he's not a, he's an expiring contract, but there's going to be a lot of scrutiny that comes with acquiring a player like Kyrie. There's going to be a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of distractions to deal with um, in light of what's been going on. And so I would be surprised right now if any team was ready to trade for Kyrie. Bill Simmons mentioned the other day on his show that the Nets have been essentially looking to trade Kyrie for a few weeks and not finding anything out there. On the, during the summer, the reward was that the Lakers were the only team that was interested in trading for Kyrie Irving. Are they still interested after what's been going on? I don't know. I mean, look, for a franchise that puts a spotlight on everybody, that could be a big distraction, a big distraction. And we talked all summer about how great Kyrie Irving's skill set fit with the Lakers and, and all of these things. I would be very cautious about it if I was the Lakers, just given everything that's been going on. Jay Jackson, let's not forget the Mavs lost to the same Pels team without B.I. or Zion. Great point. Yep, for all the... the Hell side of things running around saying, oh, the Lakers are terrible. See, they, you know, they almost lost to this team without the well, the Mavs actually did. The Lakers didn't. They got the win. The Lakers got the win. And right now, at this point in the season, that matters. David, Russ coming off the bench gives us a competitive second unit, which the Lakers lacked the last couple of years. Who could fill that role if we trade him? Uh, would be nice if we can get shooting without trading him. So again, you'd be hoping that Dennis Schroeder could fill that role. And we heard that that was actually the Lakers' plan in bringing in Schroeder, was that they were holding off on on signing Schroeder until they traded Russell Westbrook. That was, it was going to be kind of a domino thing where they were going to move Russell Westbrook and then sign Dennis Schroeder. That was the plan. And then what happened was other teams saw how Schroeder was playing in Eurobasket and said, hey, maybe we'd like to sign this guy. And once that started happening, the Lakers went, oh, okay, well, we need to sign this guy because otherwise somebody else is going to. And that caused them to go ahead and say, well, we haven't traded Russ yet, but let's sign Schroeder anyway. He's a bargain at this price and let's do that. So he would be the one that could um, fill that role if the Lakers do trade Russ and, and Schroeder still working on getting healthy. Saw uh, some positive footage out of him actually shooting with his surgically repaired thumb. 
Hopefully his return is sooner rather than later, but we'll wait for an update on that. Uh, can you get shooting without trading Russ? Yeah, you can, but then you're talking Pat. Then you're talking Kendrick Nunn. There's some other deals out there that you can make. Uh, as of December 15th, the guys who signed contracts this last offseason can become trade eligible. And so that might open some things up as well. But again, the question becomes, who should the Lakers actually trade if they do? Uh, Haley Ford said, need to start cutting down bronze minutes in the regular season. That would be fantastic. They got to win games too. But yes, they, they ideally you could get some opportunities to cut down on LeBron's minutes. Maybe that means a little bit more Russell Westbrook. I got to be honest, there were moments, and, and, and I know looking back and knowing now how sick LeBron was, I don't blame him, but there were moments where I was questioning, would the Lakers be better off with Russ in the game right now than LeBron? That's how rough of an outing it was for LeBron James. And once again, I don't blame him. When you're sick like that, you could see it. He just, he didn't have the energy. Um, he was doing everything he could to gut that out. But there were moments where I was even questioning, would Russ's burst right now be a better fit for the Lakers on the floor? And again, the question would be, what would happen then? Your spacing and, and all of it. There'd be a domino effect. So I'm not saying it's an immediate yes, but LeBron was very diminished in that game. <laughs> Matt Ryan can steal my girl. Somebody said, well, there you go. You hit a big shot. People are willing to, to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, why are we still shooting threes every other possession? So right now the Lakers are actually middle of the pack in three-point attempts. I was looking that up uh, just a little bit ago. So they're in the middle of the pack in three-point attempts, which when you're a bad three-pointing shoot shooting team, you would say, well, that's not ideal, right? If you're not very good at shooting threes, you're dead last in the NBA at shooting threes right now. Wouldn't you also want to be dead last in attempts? If you're not making very many, you shouldn't take very many, right? And that does make sense. And I think that the three-point attempts, since the first couple of games, they've become a bit more selective in terms of the threes that they do shoot. But there's also a sense that they're not really this bad. Like, they're bad, but they're probably low 30% bad, which is, look, they, they are going to be in the running for the worst three-point shooting team in the league, barring some kind of a trade to bring in shooting. I don't think there's any question about that. And so ultimately, bringing down your three-point attempts is probably going to be a win for you. But you also have to keep defenses honest, and teams are giving them these wide-open shots. And so you have to be able to knock down those shots because what happens is if you just never take that three, which in terms of math might actually work out because you're shooting it so poorly, but if you never shoot that shot, then what happens is the defenses, they just really pack the paint because they know you're not going to shoot it. You have to at least be a credible threat from behind the arc. So if you're a 31% a three-point shooter, but teams know you're going to shoot that shot, they at least have to put some kind of half-hearted defense out there on you. Right? They at least have to put in a little bit of effort. No, they're not closing out on you like your Steph Curry, but they have to account for you out there. Whereas if they know that they're just, okay, they're just not going to shoot threes, period. They're not going to worry about running out to the three-point line, and therefore the paint just becomes that more clogged. Sometimes, and we've seen this a lot with this Lakers team, it's valuable to get an opponent running at your shooter to get that closeout so you can pump fake, get into the paint, and then do something from there, either finish at the rim, like I'm thinking of Austin Reeves on that play, uh, or kick out to a shooter, and then you you know drive and kick action from there. The Lakers have been doing a lot of that. So I think you got to be careful there if you're the Lakers. you got to be careful. Um, while you do ideally want to cut down on the threes, you can't completely eliminate them because that will also eliminate your spacing. Dre Johnson, tech for the bench takes away from the game. I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement. Look, Kendrick Nunn, yeah, he stepped on the floor. I get that. That's the, the letter of the law and all of that. But come on. Come on. Look, 
I guess you can go too far with it where teams are just spilling out on the court every time something happens and it's not great. But Lonnie Walker has this thunderous dunk. The Lakers team reacts to it because how do you not react, right? Like, isn't that fans are reacting? If you're a fan, I don't want to see my team sitting still, expressionless, when something amazing happens on the floor. These are some of the best athletes on the planet. They're going to do jaw-dropping things. And you want to be able to celebrate that. That's part of the game. That's part of the fun of basketball is when you see amazing things happen, you can react to it. You're supposed to because you're not a robot. You're a human being. And so I'm in agreement in general. Like I understand the reason for the rule, but I think it's going too far. You have to let players be human beings. You can't just say, well, no, you have to stay seated the whole game and you can't get up and you can't celebrate. You can't do any of that kind of stuff. That's not fun. That's not a fun NBA. I want to see these reactions. I want to see Russell Westbrook. Like, go, there's a, a still shot of this, of Matt Ryan uh, doing the, the mean mug, doing the, the Kobe face, right? After he hits that three and he's running along the baseline and you look and the expression on the face of Russell Westbrook is pure joy. You could, he's got his fist clenched and he's so excited. He is so excited for Matt Ryan, and you can see it. He cares about his teammate, and you can see in that moment, he's just grinning from ear to ear. And that's phenomenal. Sports are emotional. It, it drives some of the fun of the game. And so I don't think that this idea of players have to stay seated, players can't, can't react. And again, I don't think that's necessarily the spirit of the law, but it's you have to let guys be human beings. I don't want to see this become a thing where anytime you show emotion or if teams get excited and they celebrate a little bit and, oh, shoot, somebody's foot stepped on the floor, it's a tech. I think that's going a bit too far with it. Aquarius said, none, a first, and two seconds for Keldon Johnson. I don't think that's enough. He's good. The Spurs got him on a great deal. Uh, he's not trade eligible as of this moment, but the Spurs got him on a fantastic deal. I don't think they're moving him, and I wouldn't if I were them. If... <laughs> If the Spurs were willing to do this, if I was the Lakers, I would do this in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. And that's, an, I don't know that, and again, I don't see the Spurs doing that. They're just, they're not going to. I don't know if even if you included both first, the Spurs would do that. Probably wouldn't. He's really good. Uh, Vincent said, how do you see Dennis fit in? Taking Pat Bev minutes, more offensive contributions? I don't know. And that's the question, you know, and that's when you've got so many guards on the roster, there's going to be an odd man out. When you've got a lot, when you've got the, the amount of guards the Lakers have, there's going to be multiple odd men out. And right now, looking at the guard rotation, whose minutes are you cutting? Patrick Beverly just made some game-saving stops on the defensive end. Now, maybe you can chop into his minutes. Maybe he only plays 20 minutes a night instead of 27 or whatever. Maybe he plays 15. And you just use them for select defensive situations. I don't know. Austin Reeves, should his, his minutes get cut? No. He's been a glue guy with LeBron, with AD, with Russ. He's making winning plays. He's one of, been one of the best three-point shooters on the team this season. Not cutting his minutes. Are you going to cut Lonnie Walker's minutes? No. He just put up 28 points. He's been scoring the ball for the Lakers. He's been giving them that extra punch. Not cutting Troy Brown. He wouldn't cut into the guard minutes anyway. Kendrick Nunn already... Pretty much has lost his minutes. 
Russell Westbrook's coming off the bench and he's been good. Are you cutting his minutes? No. I don't know. I don't know where the minutes come from for Dennis Schroeder. And that's okay. That's okay. That's a good problem to have. That's a good problem. It's it's a problem, but it's a good problem to have, to have more players that should be getting minutes than you can give minutes to. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Look, JTA, Juan Toscano Anderson, did not get in this game despite being ready to play. Didn't get in the game against the Pelicans. Why? Because Darvin Ham's got his rotation and it was working. You don't tinker with things when they're working. So as of this moment, I don't know. But you know what? This league, this team, it's going to be changing. There's going to be opportunities. Kendrick Nunn is not gone. Kendrick Nunn, don't just write him off. He will get chances. There will come moments where Kendrick Nunn's needed, where something will happen. Somebody will get sick. Somebody will get hurt. Something will happen, and they'll need Kendrick Nunn, and he'll step in, and he'll have his opportunity to prove himself. Dennis Schroeder will get an opportunity. Juan Toscano Anderson will get opportunities. These guys will get chances, but for the time being, the Lakers are now 2-0 the last two games. They've won the last two with the rotation as is. You don't change that right now. TC said LeBron 20 seasons in gets this hate from fans shaking my head. You know what? I, I think fans for a long time have been looking to be negative about LeBron. And so that's that comes into play here. There are some fans who weren't happy when LeBron became a Laker years ago. This is what, fifth, fifth season now with the Lakers? He's been here long enough. He's one of our own now. He should be that's the way he should be seen. Even if that's not it, and people are just saying, hey, he was he made some frustrating decisions. There's no question. He wasn't getting the results on the jumper. But when I watched his energy at the postgame presser, and when I heard him talk about how sick he was and how he hasn't gotten out of bed in two days, I, I, I write this off. I write this off. So, And I would hope that most fans that are criticizing him are doing so without having the understanding that he was sick. Because if you know that, I think you also know that what we saw against the Pelicans is not LeBron. That's not what we typically see out of LeBron. And there's a reason why that happened. It wasn't LeBron's not trying. And it wasn't injury. It was the guy's sick. What are you going to do? Can the Lakers, as is, get better? Yeah. Look, again, if they can get that three-point percentage up above, say, 30% or so, they can get better. Can their defense continue to perform at this level? I hope so, because it's really key to what they're doing right now. But their defense is the second best in the NBA right now, according to defensive ratings. Uh, their defensive ratings, second best in the NBA. It's fantastic. Um, they can improve upon what they're doing. We still see little mistakes that they make here and there and all of that. Yeah, th this, team is not, this team is not at their ceiling, although I will say without shooting, their ceiling is somewhat capped, right? The way this team gets to the next level is by adding shooting. You take this team that's already playing super fast, that's already great defensively, struggles in the half court in part because they don't have shooting. You plug in shooting, uh-oh. That's where this team suddenly gets a lot better. And again, I'm still worried about the center position. Uh, I know we have some questions coming up, up about that as well. I'm still concerned about that. Those are the two things I'm looking for on this team right now. Shooting, and I want another big. I don't know if Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant are it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Damian Jones comes flying back or maybe Wendy Gabriel just proves himself and he can do the job. Whatever it is, hopefully they don't have to make a move to get a big because I know that's not what the plan was heading into the season. But based on what we've seen so far, I'm concerned that they do need another big. Uh, Lakers able to win without a strong performance from LeBron. That was encouraging. That is a topic that we need to really discuss here.
So the first few games of the season, the narrative was essentially the same. The analysis was the same. Lakers can't shoot threes. And that was true. Um, they were shooting horrifically. But it was also that, hey, LeBron's doing his thing. Anthony Davis is doing his thing. And nobody else is. Nobody else was stepping up. The Lakers were LeBron. The Lakers were uh, AD. And that was it. You had no one else stepping up their game. And that also limited what the Lakers could do. Because you can only go so far if it's LeBron and AD doing all the heavy lifting and everybody else is just kind of along for the ride. They're just out there doing cardio. Now, that's not really fair. They're playing good defense and everything. But you weren't getting any scoring punch from them. And now, you've got LeBron didn't have that great of a game. And now you've got Russ off the bench. And he's going. Now you've got Lonnie Walker. And he's putting up 28 points. Leads the team in scoring in this game. Not LeBron, not Russ, not AD, Lonnie Walker. High point total tonight. And then you've got Troy Brown Jr. making a difference. You've got Austin Reeves making a difference. You've got these other guys that are chipping in in meaningful ways. It is night and day. So like the previous question said, can the Lakers get better? Yes, and we're seeing it. Suddenly, you've got other guys chipping in in a positive way and making a real impact in the outcome of games. So I agree. It is encouraging to see LeBron couldn't be fully himself, and the rest of the team stepped up and got the job done. Carlos, Russ doesn't agree with not going back in the game. I'm, I know there's a lot of questions coming about this. So Russ's post-game presser was extremely short. I didn't even post it to the YouTube channel because it was so short. It was like two minutes. And... Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Based on his, he didn't specifically say, I should have gone back in the game. He didn't specifically say, I'm unhappy. But if you watched his demeanor, it was hard not to come to that conclusion. There were a few questions in a row where he said, you know, we j just got to compete or just got to keep competing, something to that effect. To the point where he answered two questions that way. And then it went to, I believe it was Dan Wiki of the LA Times. He got to ask the next question and he kind of pushed him a little bit and said, hey, you know, I, I need to get you to say something that's not, oh, I'm just competing. And Russ kind of pushed back at this. And he, they did a, it was, it was not like Kyrie level or anything, but it just kind of, it was a quick little back and forth. Um, Yeah, Russ was doing his kind of like Marshawn Lynch-esque, I'm just here so I don't get fined type thing. Where clearly he needed to say more and he was literally limiting his responses to the press to like three words. Now, that was just a few questions. There were other questions that he answered more in depth, but it was hard to watch that and not get the impression that he didn't want to be there talking to the press at that point, which, look, not everybody has to be in the mood to answer questions all the time. Right? It's, it's understandable, but Russ can also do this where he doesn't want to give anybody anything. It doesn't help anybody. Anybody who's trying to get his insight and so you can... You can craft a story about the game and, hey, here's Russell Westbrook's perspective on it. When he gives you an answer that is three words and tells and says nothing, that doesn't help anybody. That doesn't help anybody explain what's going on. But again, Russ also talked about how happy he was for Matt Ryan hitting that shot and all that. So 
I don't want to say that Russ was combative the entire time or anything like that. That said, if you're looking for something, if you're saying, gosh, I wonder if Russ was unhappy about not going back into this game, considering he played well, didn't go in through the end of the fourth, didn't go in into overtime. Was he upset about that? If you watch this presser, you kind of got a little bit of fuel for that fire, if that's what you're looking for. But again, he didn't specifically say he was upset. And so I don't want to just jump to a conclusion here and say, clearly Russ isn't happy that he didn't go back into the game. That's not specifically what he said, but his demeanor, his attitude wasn't that of a person who's thrilled. But who knows? Maybe he's upset about something else. I don't I don't know. He didn't specifically say what he was upset about there. Uh, sealed Bean. To me, Russ not being on the floor at the end didn't make sense at all. He's played amazing defense and can actually make buckets. Ahem, Beverly. Again, I, I can't criticize Darvin Ham too much for the Beverly decision because it worked. But my, in, in the moment, and I was saying a week ago, you know, you don't close games with Russ. Russ was playing well. I probably would have turned to him, maybe Troy Brown. Um, I thought Russ played well enough to where you could say he deserved to close the game. Against Portland, Russ wasn't playing well that game. He didn't deserve to be closing that game. He was not playing well, and Darvin Ham put him in and it bit him in the butt. Um, this game, Russ was playing well. And so you can definitely argue that he should have been on the floor, whether it's based on merit, whether it's based on situation. He has been good defensively. But if I'm Darvin Ham, I can also understand this thinking. Who do I think has a better chance if my specific goal is not I'm putting a guy out there that's going to score points on the offensive end. I'm My goal is I need someone who can stop C.J. McCollum. That's it. That is the only purpose of putting this player on the floor right now. It's stop CJ McCollum. I'm probably picking Pat Bev as well because Russ defensively has done, has done well. And look, Russ spent minutes defending Zion. We, we haven't even talked about this. Russ defended Zion in this game and held his own for the most part. There were a few times he had to foul him and things like that. But oh my gosh, I mean, that you would not go into this game with the game plan of Russ is going to defend Zion. And anybody you present that to would say, oh, you're going to get smoked. <laughs> that is not a good idea. And yet Russ did it. And he made some solid plays. He held his, look, Zion scored as well. So I'm not saying he was perfect against him. But he was competent defending Zion Williamson. Where Russ can be successful defensively is defending bigger, stronger guys who are a little bit slower. That's, that's where Russ can be successful defensively. Defending quick players is where he struggles. And so from that, with that knowledge, I can understand even further why Patrick Beverly was the choice. Based on merit, yes, Russ deserved to be closing the game. But if you're Darvin Ham and their one goal is I need to slow down CJ McCollum, I understand why the pick was, was Pat. Uh, Marcus throws it. Did you see Russ's post-game interview? Didn't seem good. Again, I, I won't rehash it, but, uh, but yeah, did want to you know mention the super chat there. Uh, Ice Cold Matt, why didn't they count AD's last shot if it went up before the final buzzer? Um, I don't know what shot you were talking about. Maybe it was to end the game or something like that. I was probably too busy celebrating, so I, I, I can't comment. I don't know exactly what shot you were referencing there. If it went up before the buzzer, then it should count. That's all I can say. Uh, Mackie, oh, he agrees with me. Russell Westbrook's po uh, post-game comment was very Mar Marshawn Lynch-like, so somebody else thought of Marshawn when they saw that. Beast mode. Um, yeah, I... He didn't seem happy, but sometimes that's Russ when he's interacting with the media. It's just the way he is. 
Peanut Butter Badger, Matt Ryan hit two buzzer beaters tonight. Wow. You know, I think it's actually three. I think all three of his threes came as a buzzer was sounding. Um, incredible stuff from him. Matt P said, I'll take the win, but we need more from AD, especially late game. You know, some of that is on the Lakers for not getting the ball to AD. I'm in agreement. There were moments where LeBron had the ball up top, and I went, we really kind of need an Anthony Davis touch here when LeBron's struggling. And so I think the Lakers needed to feed him a bit more. That said, I'm not going to complain about Anthony Davis with this kind of defensive performance. He was phenomenal on that end of the floor. He was great. Um, offensively, yes, I think the Lakers needed to give him a couple opportunities down the stretch to, to do some things there. And he had some chances where he just missed some tip-ins at the rim. Um, and so those kind of loomed large. But I, overall, I'm in agreement. Yes, probably would have liked to have seen a few more touches for AD late in the game. The Xbox junkie said, sorry, sell high on Russ. He increased his value. San Antonio will do the deal. Uh, if San Antonio will do the deal, get Pirtle, Richardson, and McDermott. This team can't win as constructed. I'm in agreement that the team can get to another level and probably needs to um, if they're able to add some pieces. I like those guys. I like Pirtle. I like Richardson. I like McDermott. The question becomes, Number one, how much does not having Russ attacking off the bench hurt you? And I think that's something that now you have to weigh because we've seen some success there. And then are you not just better, but are you better enough to where it's worth giving up the picks in order to get those pieces? Maybe you can say yes. Maybe you can say, yeah, you know what? And I don't know if the negotiations have changed a ton after three games, but if Rob is now able to go into trade negotiations and say before the Spurs wouldn't do this deal without second rounders and pick swaps in and things like that. And Rob's now able to say, uh, I don't have to trade Russ. I'm dealing from a stronger position now. I'll give you two first. I'll give you Russ. And I'm going to put top five protections on one of those picks or some, something like that. Maybe there's some more leeway that you have in it. Um, but again, I, I agree with the general concept that the Lakers can't hit their ceiling in terms of their potential as a team without some kind of a trade in order to fix the shooting woes. And that San Antonio deal, I think, would go a long way towards fixing it. Mike Conley, with any everything going on in Brooklyn, Kyrie might still be an option. Would you do it? I don't, you know, I was talking about this with the Lakers Nation staff actually um, earlier about whether or not we would do this. And I think the general consensus was no. If this was last summer, it's a Yes. It's a yes. It's a give up both first, trade Russ, get Kyrie because Kyrie's skill set fits so much better and, and that's going to help your team and, and all of this. And Kyrie's an immensely talented player. But this Lakers team has some positive vibes going right now. They've got a good thing. I don't know that that's the trade that you make. Given everything that's going on and the circus it's going to create and, and all of that, and we've talked about how winning cures all and yeah, that's true, but I'd be very, very careful if I was the Lakers, if I was any team and looking to trade for Kyrie Irving, even if you think you can get him at a better value at this point. I really question whether any team will trade for Kyrie right now in this moment. Uh, honestly, I would look to replace Damian Jones with Boogie. Thoughts? So you can argue that Damian Jones has not been good and Damian Jones should be replaced. You've got some veterans that are out there. Hassan Whiteside, Dwight Howard, Boogie Cousins. Maybe Derek Favors, right? There's some guys you could turn to, some veterans that you could turn to um, that could fill that role. And 
in general, I'm in agreement with that concept. However, when you add in the contracts, that's where it becomes difficult because Damian Jones has a guaranteed veteran minimum contract for this year, has a player option for next year. So do you want to pay him all that money, have it count against your cap, have it count against the luxury tax to just go away, and then you're going to sign somebody to replace him? That becomes a very expensive decision, especially this early in the season. Seven games. Um, that's too early to write off a player. It's too early to write off Damian Jones. It's too early to write off Kendrick Nunn. If we get to the buyout market, say, if we get to February, we get to March, and you're still having problems, maybe. Maybe. But you have to let a player try to play through things. Look, they, they signed Damian Jones for a reason. I'm not just saying this because he's, he's my guy and all that and the guy that I was hoping they would sign. Um, but you have to give players a chance to play through this kind of stuff before you just make a knee-jerk reaction. Um, that I think is, is something that's important. You have to be patient with, uh, with a guy like Damian Jones. Um, but while at the same time, be realistic. If you have an opportunity to get another big and you can do it without all those other negatives, especially if it's a big that is a, a significant upgrade, like even Damian Jones at his very best, Jakob Pertl is a big upgrade. Damian Jones at his very best, Miles Turner is a big upgrade. So that is a different situation than let's go bring in somebody off the street to take over this role. Uh, B. Hill said, Jakob and Richardson for none and Pat. Uh, you're going to have to throw in some picks there. I think the value is, you're probably putting in both picks. I like both those players. They'd be great additions for this Lakers team. Um, it'd be tempting. It'd be tempting if you can get something like that done. Carlo said, love the Westbrook success story, but Dennis, could you give you the same production off the bench? Are we sure? I don't think, like, the things that Russ is doing, I don't think, like, Schroeder can do it in his own way. And Schroeder can be good. And I think Schroeder is worth a lot more than veteran minimum. But the stuff Russ is doing is not necessarily the same thing Schroeder can do. So, similar in a way that they're both quick point guards. They both use their explosiveness to their advantage. They both are not great uh, defensively, but they're very different players. Russ is, is a much more physical player than Dennis Schroeder is. Um, in some ways, they're similar, but they're different enough to where I don't think Schroeder can do what Russ is doing off the bench right now. Now, the question becomes, though, could he give you 75% of that? And if that's the case, that's a yes, then it may be worthwhile to make a trade and to say, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and move on from Russ, and we're going to accept that we're going to you know, decrease a little bit in our bench effectiveness, but maybe we're going to improve in our three-point shooting or in our big depth or, or whatever, right? And so the net may still be a positive, even if it is a bit of a step back. Russell Westbrook playing the level that he's playing at right now is better than what we've seen Dennis Schroeder at. I'm pretty comfortable saying that. Marcus, last time I suggested re-signing Russ because we have bird rights on him. Uh, 15 million keeps our options open down the road. Obviously, a lot of ifs there. Yeah, I think there would be a. There's still a lot of healing that would need to come between Russ and the Lakers. I would have to imagine that Russell Westbrook, given everything that went on this last season, he probably would like to play basketball somewhere else. Um, just as the Lakers have been trying to trade Russ and they've been looking to move on from him, I would be surprised if he's back next season, regardless of how things go from here. But if Russ is able to fully buy into this bench role. And if the Lakers have success, I won't totally rule it out. And two weeks ago, I would have said, it's totally ruled out. There's no way. There's no way. Um, again, I would be very surprised, but 
Maybe that door is open just slightly. Again, it's only a three-game sample size here of Russ having success off the bench. Let's not assume that's what we're going to see the entire season, but if that's ultimately what happens, maybe. MJ said, Mello can be picked up after December 15th to play with Russ. With what roster spot? You don't have an open roster spot for this, uh, for picking up Carmelo Anthony. You'd have to waive somebody to do it. And again, if you're if you're waiving anyone other than Wenyan Gabriel, who's the, the backup center right now, uh, Austin Reeves, let's, let's face it, you're not waving, and Matt Ryan, who just hit your game-tying three, you're paying someone to go away. You're incurring, incurring luxury taxes on that salary and paying someone to go play for someone else, to go home. And then you're bringing in another salary that you're going to pay luxury taxes on and you're going to have to pay out. That's a big financial expenditure uh, to do that. So I don't think they're going to cut somebody in order to open up a spot for Mello and have the financial ramifications there. Now, maybe they execute a trade and they send out two players and they only bring back one. Okay, sure. Then then you can talk about it. But with the roster being full as is, I don't see a spot for Carmelo Anthony. Uh, I like the Spurs deal more than the Pacers, but yes, either deal is more impactful than Russ because we have Dennis Schroeder. He's a better scorer, free throw, and three-point shooter. So again, that's the, the question the Lakers have to ask themselves is, number one, what does Dennis Schroeder look like when he's back and healthy? I mean, let's let's see what that is. And if he's really good, then maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable using Russ's contract in a trade still. Moving on from him, as great as this has been, uh, as great as he's, you know, he's played well and it's been a feel-good story, maybe you hit a point where you say, well, if Schroeder can give us a little bit of that, can give us something similar, even though he's going to be different, something at least somewhat similar off the bench, Let's use that contract and let's add the shooting this team needs to get to the next level. That might still wind up being the winning play for the Lakers, but we'll see. A lot has to happen between now and getting to that decision-making point. Lakers Nation, give me your thoughts, though. What do you think about Russell Westbrook, uh, his situation? Should the Lakers still be exploring trades? Let me know in the comments down below. Don't forget, we will be live on playback tonight for Lakers versus jazz can the lakers make it three in a row click the link down below and come join us for our lakers nation live stream we will be live doing the play-by-play -play for the game taking questions directly from you watch the game with us we celebrate together commiserate when the lakers do not win it is a lot of fun so highly encourage you to come join us over on playback tonight for the game it's a lot of fun getting everybody together to watch the lakers till next time everybody stay safe and see ya